0: Hello and welcome to the Single Mama Dating Podcast. My name is Courtney Norman and each week I'm going to be coming to you and I'm going to be talking to you about dating tips for the single mothers out there. Maybe you're not a single mother, maybe you're a divorcee. Um, Either way, I hope that everything that I bring to you will be able to help you in your endeavors. Dating can be very brutal, as we all know. Um, a little bit about me. I'm a first grade teacher. I love what I do. I'm currently pursuing my master's in library media science. So I get a lot of experience with technology. So I'm kind of, that's why it kind of led me to start this podcast in a sense. And then in another sense, I just felt it on my heart. I've started blogging lately and um, getting some good feedback. So I decided to start a podcast. I know for me, I listen to podcasts, every day in the morning and um they really seem to help me just to know that people are kind of going through the same struggles um this first thing that I'm going to start off with in this is going to be talking about psychopath um relationships and I'm going to try really hard in my podcast just to be candid I'm not going to try to do a lot of editing I want you guys to know that I'm a real person and I'm just a working single mother um who wants to share my experiences. Um, I may make this first one about 45 minutes instead of, um, you know, I'm going to try to stick to about 30 minutes or so in the um, next one so that they don't get too long. But to give you a little bit of background knowledge of me and why I started studying this particular subject, I would like to make this one just a little bit longer. Um, when I was 17 years old, I met my ex-husband. Um I knew he was going to be the man that I married from the moment that I met him. I was completely head over heels in love with him. And we had a great relationship for many years. But I think a part of me didn't really know being so young and having so little relationship experience. And also with him, never have had a very serious relationship. I don't think either of us really knew what a healthy relationship was supposed to look like. So I still believe like to this day, that was part of our problem was we started off on an unhealthy foot. Um, we spent every breathing minute together. Um, you know, and I went off to college. I went to Auburn university and he actually stayed in our hometown near Southeast Alabama. We're about 10 minutes from Florida. And, uh, we had maintained our long distance relationship over the years and, It was nice, um, but at the same time, like, we should have existed kind of apart from each other a little bit more. Um, I wish we had, but needless to say, um, I don't like to really talk about, you know, my last relationship. I don't want to bash my ex-husband. He is still the father of my children that I love very much, and um, my ex-husband and I have a great relationship now as a divorced couple. Um, I feel like we both have the same intentions in our heart. We want what's best for our children. And I think that he is a wonderful father. Um, We did not have a good relationship. Um, There was a lot of emotional abuse in our relationship. I think he was actually unaware of it. And the fact that I kept it all bottled inside and didn't share that with him It was one of those things that just, it was both of our faults. I mean, you know, as equally, it was my fault as it was his. Listen, if you are, to anyone out there listening, if you are ever in a relationship with somebody, communication is key. And if you feel like something is bothering you or not going right, don't bottle it up in your heart. Don't do that. You need to somehow tell that person and communicate to them that what they're doing is bothering you. And so what if they get offended? They need to get offended. They need to know that what they're doing is bothering you. And if they love you, they're going to try to change that behavior. But our problem was I had waited and waited and waited for over a year to finally say, hey, I don't like you telling me that I can't load the dishwasher. I don't like you acting like I can't wash clothes. I don't act like, you know, I don't like you... Acting like I can't do anything right. I don't like the fact that I feel completely unloved and unappreciated. And I have slipped into a deep depression after having two children, gaining 95 pounds. And so by the time I told him all of these things, you know, it was just too late. Um, And I know that there's a lot of people out there who believe it's never too late to fix things. But I do believe that it can be too late to fix things. And, you know, when I told him these things, it kind of caught him off guard. Because I had waited so long and um, he put up this defense and so he started looking for all these reasons to wonder why I was suddenly changing my feelings and he thought I was having an affair and he thought this and he thought that and there was just so much damage done in that period that like if there was anything to be savaged of our marriage It was ruined with us fighting and fighting and fighting some more during that period. And so it was awful to come out of that. Um, And it was about a year ago today um, that we were having the worst point of our marriage. Um, And I feel like I'm in a new place now. I feel like I have, for the first time in my life, I feel like I've really reached down inside of me. And I found that that's me, you know, that's who I am. And it's great. Um, Well, needless to say, I've developed some friendships over the past year. And one of them in particular, her name is Carrie, and she's become a really good friend of mine. And it's kind of a ironic relationship we have. Um, Needless to say, um, I kind of saw her ex-husband for a little while after um, I was going through my divorce. And Um, I kind of found myself in the same relationship that I was in with my ex-husband. Um, unfulfilling with the same type of man. The more that I listened to his story and the more that I listened to Carrie tell me about him, the more I kind of found out that he and my ex-husband shared a lot of the same characteristics, which I found to be like, how did I manage to do this? How did I manage to pick two men who were exactly equally unhealthy? Now, in no way is this podcast a man bashing show. Like I know my dad always jokes, oh, it's a lifetime movie. The man is going to be awful and the woman is going to be wonderful. And the man is so, you know, and I'm not trying to make that this at all. So let me put that out there up front. I, I hate generalized statements. Um, I don't like when people say men are pigs, men this, men that. Humans by nature are selfish, um, egocentric creatures. So when we start talking about men, I'm, not going, to, I'm go- not going to try to generalize just men. I'm going to try to talk about humans in general. Um, so when we talk about this, just try to think if you're a woman Think of it as the man. Um, Maybe you are a homosexual woman who is a single mother. Think about this uh, from a woman's standpoint. It could be a woman or a man. Um, If you are a man listening to this because you want to get some advice on how you should act, please know that women can act this way too. It's not just a man thing. And I really, really want to stress that because I feel like so many books and so many articles and so many things just say men are bad, men are bad, men are pigs, men are this, women are all those things too, humans by nature are, um, so moving on, um, my friend Carrie and I have had long therapeutic relationship talks, and, um, I really, really love her, uh, she's a beautiful person inside and out, it's funny that we're friends now, because I dated her (laughs) ex-husband while they were going through a divorce, um, I wasn't the cause of the divorce or anything like that, and he wasn't the cause of mine, but we kind of just the stars aligned. But um, whenever my relationship with him kind of came to a screeching halt, um, I started to talk, I talked to Carrie about some things, and um, it's just funny the way that things work out, and you can kind of find friendships in the strange places. Um, Carrie told me when... She shared some of her red flags about her husband, her ex-husband. And I shared some things that went on in my ex-husband's relationship. And we noticed like a strange similarity. But then we always we always kind of talked about the things that we had in common. You know, we're both kind of creative people. We both like to write, to draw, do things like that. Um, so we kind of saw some similarities in our personalities. And then we saw striking similarities in their personalities. Um, she's at college right now. And... She told me she had a neighbor there that just swore by this book that she had read that certain men are psychopaths and they are attracted to certain types of women. Well, you can imagine my face when Carrie's telling me this. I've been raised in modern American culture. What is a psychopath? Norman Bates running into the shower with a bloody butcher knife or Ted Bundy, With his fake cast on trying to lure women so he can kill them. Those are psychopaths, right? I mean, that's what Hollywood has always told us. So to call like a normal person that would never kill anybody a psychopath, this lady, her neighbor must be crazy. That's the only thing I can think is that she just had a bad relationship and she's just being bitter because there is no way that my ex-husband is a psychopath. Like, and there I was, you know making the excuses, making these things up. Um, But I want to give you a quote to start this with. I know my worth. Never again will I condemn myself to the prison of a bad relationship. I know my worth. Never again will I condemn myself to the prison of a bad relationship. You are worthy of so much more than a bad relationship. And if you're not in a relationship or you're in a bad relationship now, you have to know your worth. And if that bad relationship is not going to get better, don't let somebody slam the Bible over your head until you have to stay in that marriage. Don't let somebody guilt you into it for your kids. I promise you, it is much healthier for your kids to see you and your ex maintain a healthy relationship than it is for them to see you guys fighting all the time. It is much healthier for you to go find a man or a woman that you are going to be, have a healthy relationship with. And then that is going to show those children. It's going to show your son how he should treat a woman when he grows up, how he should treat other people when he grows up. How his mother was respected by that man is going to be exactly how he treats those women when he grows up. If you have a daughter... The last thing you want to show her is that no matter how bad it is, you stay in that relationship. You shouldn't teach your daughter that it's okay to suffer and okay to put up with these things. You should teach her that it is okay to move on. It is okay to say, we don't get along and that's okay. We can get along better separate. And show her, find somebody or don't find anybody. I don't know. I haven't found anybody yet. But I would rather my daughter see me in a healthy relationship with a man who treats me correctly and her know that she deserves to be treated just like that and nothing less. So anyways, when she told me about this psychopathic um bond thing, I kind of stuck it in the back of my head and I didn't really think much about it. And um things kind of came to a messy close with her ex-husband and I. Um, and I won't get into much detail with that. I don't like to share a whole lot about my personal life there. But I started, I decided that that was in the back of my mind. I started just Google. Maybe this is right. Maybe there is something about my personality that attracts these psychopaths, whatever they are, to me. So I start Googling. And um, the thing was, Carrie had never told me the name of the book that her neighbor read because she couldn't remember it. Um, Well, I love to read. So I start Googling things and I come across a lady named Sandra L. Brown. Um, And this lady has literally dedicated her life. um, She's a counselor. And she has dedicated her life to studying these victims of this emotional abuse, which are primarily women. So when you read her book, um, it's all about spotting men. Now, there are other books out there that I will recommend to you. um, But this particular one that I read from her is it's all about Men. And the one I read that I found the Kindle edition for um is called How to Spot a Dangerous Man Before You Get Involved. Um I really recommend this book to any woman out there who is dating. Um and also you could apply these traits, like I feel like you could apply the traits that she talks about in this book with women. Um I'm sure that these types of women exist too. When you look at the biological nature of a man and a woman, um, men are more likely to have these psychopathic tendencies than women, Um, just because the way we are biologically hardwired. Um, Women are much more nurturing, caring, empathetic creatures, and men are not. So that is why men are kind of stereotyped as psychopaths. However, there are occasions where women can be psychopaths, too. Um, So that was the first book I read. Um, now there is another one of hers that's more popular that I have not read yet. Um, it did not have the Kindle edition, so I'm going to have to order it and read it in my hands. It's called Women Who Love Psychopaths Inside the Relationships of Inevitable Harm with Psychopaths, Sociopaths, and Narcissists. And, um, I would really like to read that one. Um, it looks really good. It's got great ratings. Um, There are, along with the How to Spot a Dangerous Man Before You Get Involved, there's the workbook that's a survival um, guide for women, and that kind of goes with it. But those are her um, two books that are really good, and I started reading her first one, the one that I could find on the Kindle edition, and I love it. I love it so much. I recommend anybody read it, Um, even if you've never been involved with a psychopath, even if you're just starting to date. Any of those things, I recommend you read this. Um, She really talks about the personality traits that attract a psychopath to a person. And I'm going to try to kind of sum those up in some of the studies I've done and, you know, reading this. But um, ask yourself these questions. Number one, and I came up with these questions just on my own from reading a couple books. Number one, are you a driven woman? Are you driven to achieve your dreams? Do you not lose sight of things? Number two, are you a woman that maybe isn't your typical girl? Like, I know for me, I'm not a typical girl. I don't like a lot of attention. Um, I don't want somebody, like, cuddling on top of me all the time. Like, that's not my love language. You know, when I want to go to sleep at night, I'm like, get on your side of the bed. Um, I don't like to be showered with gifts all the time. That's, you know, that's not my thing. And I don't like pet names, like when people call me baby or honey or sweetie. I don't like that. That's just not me. Um, so that's not, my t- that's not a typical girl by definition. Um, number three, are you successful in your career, perhaps achieving a lot at a young age? You know, did you go to college right after high school? And then as soon as you got out of college at 21, 22, did you get a job? and start a career very early in your life. I know for me, graduated college when I was 21, and I started teaching kindergarten when I was, just after I turned 22. Um, I'm 25 now, and this is nearly my fourth year teaching, and I'm getting a master's in library that I'm almost done with. And I think that's a lot for me. Like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but, you know, I'm almost 26 years old now. I have two kids. I've been married, divorced. I'm almost done with a master's degree that I will finish when I'm 26. And I've had a career going for a few years, you know, and I feel like that's a lot. Um, that's a successful person. Number four, are you more of like an intelligent and creative type individual? Um, are you a deep thinker? Do you try to see the box, the whole picture? You know, do you, are you not closed minded? You're a really empathetic person. If you're more intelligent and creative, there's a lot of proof and research behind that that people who are creative and intelligent are a lot more um, feel a lot more than some people. Number five: Are you well-rounded and liked by your peers? Now, I know for me, I have a very introverted personality. I crave my alone time. I ignore my phone calls, but when I'm around people, they laugh all the time. They love being around me. They think I'm hilarious. And I'm pretty well-rounded in the fact that, you know, I'm a mom, I teach, I do these things. And, um, you know, I'm not perfect at all. I think that, you know, most of the days if they could just see how hard my feet were paddling underwater, they wouldn't envy that at all. But, um, you know, in in a social standpoint, are you kind of a well-rounded person and do your peers like you? Um, Number six, in addition to all those things, are you kind of sensitive at the same time? You know, would you watch a movie and cry or, or see somebody that was less fortunate and, and be sensitive to the way that they felt. Um, number seven kind of goes with this. Are you empathetic and caring? When you do see a person that's in a less fortunate situation, do you try to kind of empathize with them and put yourself in their skin and figure out how that would feel. And it leaves you with a tear in your eye. And maybe you walk up and you give that homeless person some money or ask them, can you buy them something to eat? Or any situation where people are going through a hard time, do you empathize with them? Does it really hurt you inside to think of how they're going and how they're feeling? Number eight, are you nurturing? You know, do you like to nurture people? I know for me, I'm a teacher. You know, other careers that are nurturing, nurses, um, a lot of times therapists. Nurturing people try to help others and help them through their problems. You know, is that you? Um do you have a really big heart when it really comes down to it? Do you feel like you have a big heart? You know, you may seem like all you do is be a mom in your career. And sometimes you don't feel like you're accomplishing much, but do you have a big heart deep down inside? And do you have a hard time telling other people? No. Number 10. Do you have a hard time telling people? No. I know for me, it's the hardest thing in the world. I will take on the world before I start telling people, no, I know I've been asked on dates by people that make me feel totally uncomfortable that I know there's no chemistry with, but I feel like I've got to go. Like, do you feel like that? Does anybody ever feel like that? And I'm not the only one that feels like you just have to endure the agony. Um, the funny thing is if you have any of these qualities, you could have all of them, some of them, two of them, three of them, whatever. If you have any of those qualities, though, and the more of the qualities you have, you are a prime target for a psychopath. Or in this case, let's call him a dangerous man. And like I said, this dangerous man can be a woman, too. Um, Not being sexist, I'm trying to make that clear. Um, but there is a very, very meticulous circle that this psychopathic man goes through in all of his relationships. Um, Now, the thing about a psychopathic man, like I said, doesn't have to be running after you with a chainsaw to be a psychopath. Um, A lot of psychopaths, they have superficial charm. I know the people that in my past relationships I can think of, people love them. When they are out in public, people like them. Um, they think they're a nice person. And they also have average intelligence. I mean, it's not like these people are dumb or ignorant. They're pretty smart, and they're usually kind of successful in their careers. Um, now, one thing about them is that they're sometimes untruthful or insincere. Um And it's hard to, like, you can't even tell. You know when most people lie, you can tell. Well, with these people, you can't. It's hard to read them. Um, A lot of times these people feel a lack of remorse or shame. Like they're going to do something and they're not going to feel remorseful for that. Or they're not going to feel shameful for that at all. Um, They have poor judgment a lot of times and they don't learn from their experience. Um, They're very egocentric people. Now, I'm not saying a pe- person whose confident a bad thing, but a person who is overly obsessed with themselves and overly, like, puts out there that they are just, like, the best thing since sliced bread and that you are just so lucky to have them because all these other women are after them, that is not okay. There is an issue. Nobody should be that overconfident. Um... Really, the biggest thing there is they also have this, like, inability to empathize with others. So, if they see you going through a hard time or somebody else, they don't know how that feels because they don't have the ability to put themselves in somebody's shoes. Um, that's why they have a lot, like, this unresponsiveness to their interpersonal relationships. Um suicide threats are rarely carried out by them they would never do that because they think they're so wonderful um they can have many sexual relationships with people that's very impersonal they're not going to connect with them on any kind of emotional level they can just have casual sex and it's no big deal to them um it's just a trivial thing um they also sometimes have trouble with alcohol or substance abuse in some form or have at some point in their life. Maybe they, you know, did some kind of drugs um, recreational drugs in their youth or, and now maybe they drink alcohol or maybe they drink alcohol in excess now. Um, and they usually have like a failure to follow any life plan. They kind of like bounce around and they don't really know what they're going to do in the future. Um, they, they tend to, tend to be kind of, you know, like I said, normally kind of successful. But as far as a like long life plan, like they don't know what they're going to do in 5, 10, 15 years. Um, Now, it's important to note that all of us have a tendency to do those things, all humans. Like I said, we are all selfish by human nature. I have a bachelor's degree in early childhood development education. And I can tell you that we are born egocentric by nature, thinking that the entire world revolves around us. Now, another thing I'm going to get into, with that, we all are born egocentric, but some of us learn to be more nurturing, more caring, and it's also important that it happens in our childhood. Now, if you've never heard of Piaget's stage of developments, um, I don't know, if you took any kind of life development course in college or high school. Um, you've got Piaget, Jean Piaget was, um, he came up with the stage of cognitive development and I fully believe in it. I use a lot of his, um, theories to motivate the way I teach my, um, students and, um, kind of develop a appropriate curriculum for them. Anyways, in the, in the, his four stages. Um, You've got the first stage is sensory motor, and that is about birth to about 18 months or two years. Um, Then you have the pre-operational stage, which is toddlerhood, basically. It starts about 18 months or two years, and that continues through early childhood around age seven. So on a whole nother level, you know, if your child, single moms, is in kindergarten or first grade and your teacher is saying, well, they just can't be still at school or they get in trouble all the time. You know, it's normal. I'll tell you that right now. They're still in toddlerhood. They're still, they're in the late pre-operational stage of development, but they're still, developmentally, that's appropriate for them. Um, the un, In public schools, and I'll talk about this in another podcast if you guys want, Um, In public schools, there's a lot of unrealistic expectations there, but those kids are still in a very sensitive development time all the way up until age seven. And then you've got the concrete operational, and that's about ages seven to 12. And that's when they're really going to start looking at their analytical side of thinking, and they're going to really start thinking on a deeper level. And, you know, if, if you show them different, for instance, one of the experiments they always do with kids to see if they have reached this level of development, is I can get a Play-Doh, a thing of Play-Doh, and I can have one that's rolled up into a big fat worm, and then I can roll one out into a skinnier worm. A child that is still in toddlerhood, even if they're in the late pre-operational stage, like six or seven, they're going to tell you that the biggest one is that long skinny one because it's taken up more room. It's longer. Or... They're going to tell you that the other one's bigger because it's big and fat around and that one's skinny. Either way, they're not going to recognize that two equal things of Play-Doh were the same when you rolled them out. A child in the concrete operational is going to see you take a whole thing of Play-Doh, make one thing. They're going to see you take a whole other thing of Play-Doh and roll it out into a long skinny thing. And they're going to tell you it's the same. That requires a deeper order of thinking and it requires that child to reach that stage of development. Back in the sensory motor and pre-operational stages, children are constantly making connections. The brain is, you know, reconnecting and connecting the dots. And I know you're probably asking yourself, why is she rambling on about this right now? What does this have to do with dating and psychopaths? I promise I'm getting there. Um, Then after age 12, they reach a formal operational stage, which is adolescence through adulthood. Um, Now, back to psychopaths. How does this have anything to do? How do we get from Jean Piaget to psychopaths? Well, psychopaths refer to pathology. Okay. And Sandra Brown explains this very well in this book. And I have learned this and I found this to just mind boggle me. Um, But pathology is something that happens. It's a, there are pathological disorders. I'm sure you've heard of the term pathological liars. Um, A group of personality disorders that psychopaths are, are cluster B personality disorders. That's your narcissistic personality disorder, your antisocial, those personality disorders. Now, if it's a pathological disorder, then that pathological disorder is going to be something that occurred in childhood before the age of seven. Seven, why is that age important? Go back to Piaget's stages of development. The sensory motor and preoperational stages are your crucial brain development stages. That's why it's so hard for a child to acquire language at an older age because their brain is so different in that first stage. A pathological disorder is something happened to that child before the age of seven. Before age seven. Maybe it was an absent father. Maybe they were abused and subconsciously they have like, maybe, you know, they show a lot of things about abuse and like consciously, if that happened before the age of seven, a lot of times our brain blocks things out. I find it highly interesting that I remember nothing about first grade. I can remember when I was three years old and we moved. I can remember four at preschool. I can remember kindergarten, second, third, and all the way up. But first grade, and this was something that my mother always told me about my teacher, was that she said I couldn't get along with people and that I had like a miserable year that year. And I I don't know. I don't remember anything about first grade. It blows my mind. But I wonder if it was so traumatic that my brain just put it in the back in the subconscious and I don't even know about it. So... This is the thing with these people that have these pa- pathological disorders or whatever. If it happened before age seven, it's possible that they don't even know why they're like that. They have no idea. Um, but it could be that, you know, their parents fought a lot. They saw a lot of violence. Um, it could be that somebody was violent toward them. Um, somebody important died. Any Anything, really, before the age of seven. Now, they have showed that... A pathological disorder is least likely to develop when the child's like 7, 8, 9, and 10 because they've already reached a stage in that brain development where it's not going to affect them quite as negatively. However, before age 7 is when these things kind of whatever. So if they have a pathological disorder, they are a psychopath. No, that does not mean that they're going to be running around killing everybody. It does not mean that they are crazy. It does not mean any of those things. It means that they simply had something happen in their childhood that affected their pathology. The pathology made it to where their normal, what would have been their normal personality, did not develop. That's why it's so important for us as their mothers and all to protect them from hearing fighting or hearing these things or being in these bad situations because it is a crucial time from the time they are born to age seven is going to that development is going to affect them the rest of their life on the earth that is so important those years and that was one interest I had when I went into early childhood development and as a side note now I know you're learning about me a little bit Um, when I finished this master's in library I've I'm going to pursue a master's in counseling and psychology and I've kind of been looking into it and, you know, I have to, I'm getting a general degree in it. So I have to pick some things like I have to pick an area that I want to specialize in. And I have chosen to go with these cluster B personality disorders and pathological disorders. Um, With my background in early childhood development, I feel like I can directly benefit from pursuing that with these pathological disorders and then with my own experience with emotional abuse and having learning more about these disorders um, I hope that I'm able to help people one day and eventually be a counselor Um, I love teaching and I love what I do now but I really do feel my heart is being pulled to a different place um, which I feel will be equally rewarding and I'm excited about that journey Um, But until then, I'm just going to do my podcast and hopefully I'll get one, two, three, four followers and hopefully you guys will benefit from these series. Um, What I want to do with this particular podcast is kind of wrap it up here. I feel like if I start talking about the three stages of a pathological um, relationship that I will be here for another hour, um, what I want you to do I want you to just think right now of some key things that we've kind of went over here. And probably the biggest thing for you that was the biggest reali- realization for me is that psychopaths are not just murderers. Why does Hollywood make us think that psychopaths are just serial killers? They're not. They are not at all. And actually, Robert D. Hare, I found this quote on Google Images when I was researching that, he says, too many people hold the idea that psychopaths are essentially killers or convicts. The general public hasn't been educated to see beyond the social stereotypes to understand that psychopaths can be entrepreneurs, politicians, CEOs, and other successful individuals who may never see the inside of a prison. It blows my mind because my whole life here I've been thinking that to be a psychopath, you've got to be running after me with a chainsaw. You don't. That means that I have come into contact with these dangerous people. You come into these contacts with these dangerous people. We have done that our whole lives and we don't even realize it. I know I talked about Sandra Brown in her book, but I finished that book, and I'm actually reading another one that was recommended to me on Amazon, and it is called Psychopath Free, Recovering from an Emotionally Abusive Relationship. That is, I'll say it again, Psychopath Free, Recovering from Emotionally Abusive Relationships, and that's with narcissists, sociopaths, and other toxic people. And this is written by Jackson McKenzie. Have not done a whole lot of um, research on the author. I apologize for that. I just started reading it. Um, But one of the things in this book that I found like very, very much that I liked is it used a scenario where the woman had psychopathic tendencies. And so I really like that this book, it kind of focuses on psychopaths in general and not just men. Um... So it's not sexist. I really like that. Um, I recommend that book to males and females alike that have been in any kind of emotionally abusive relationship, whether it be at your job with your boss, with your mother or father or, you know, romantic interest. Um, I want to also say that if you've ever suffered from emotional abuse, emotional abuse isn't normal. Um, Normal people don't seek to hurt others emotionally. And when they do, when we do hurt somebody and we're normal, we feel empathy for that. And we are apologetic. We feel some kind of remorse. Anybody that has a pathological disorder, they're not going to feel that. Remember, psychopaths cannot feel that remorse. So it doesn't matter how much you sit there and you beg and plead them to understand how you feel. You can be crying on your knees. They are going to be completely unaffected by your tears. Um... Then, you know, I think that it's important to remember that they're everywhere around us. Um, in this psychopath-free book that I'm reading, they did a study. Um, I'll have to go back and look at exactly what the study entailed. But they found basically that 1 in 20 people kind of have these psychopathic tendencies. Now, if you look at the statistics on Google, they will tell you only 1% of the human population are psychopaths. Well, I I very much disagree with that. Um, After studying it, I just, I think that 1%, those are the criminal psychopaths. These are your Ted Bundys, your Norman Bates. These are your serial killers or the BTK killer. Those kind of psychopaths are 1% of the population. But a psychopath doesn't just entail somebody who is criminally in trouble. It entails people who have those qualities that are functioning in our society. I mean, you think about it. Men primarily run the Westernized culture. Um, most of your CEOs and lawyers and that kind of thing, they're mostly men. Um, and they always talk about how women haven't came through the glass ceiling in society. Well, because men are more likely to be psychopaths than women. And if you look at the, this is, this is the top, they did some studies on the top 10 jobs that attract psychopath personalities. Listen to this. CEOs, number one. Number two, lawyers. Number three, your media personalities on TV, radio. Number four, salesmen. Number five, surgeons. Number six, journalists. Number seven, police officers. Number eight, clergy; number nine, chefs; and ten, your civil servants, like those that serve in the armed forces. None of those really surprise me. Um, I can think of all the people I've ever met, and yeah, I can see those personalities in those people. It doesn't surprise me at all. And you got to think about it: uh, CEOs, lawyers, media, um salesmen they run our country our western civilization and they're mostly men yes of course there are some women which proves that there are some women that have these psychopath relationships now i'm not saying if you are one of those 10 things that you are a psychopath my mother was a salesman and my dad is a journalist and they are both Not psychopaths, I promise. And I've got some really great friends that are lawyers that aren't psychopaths. I have some really great friends that are police officers or clergy members or chefs. They're not psychopaths. Um, It's not to say if you choose one of those careers that you are a psychopath. It's just saying that those are the top 10 professions where you're probably going to find people that have those psychopathic tendencies, Um, Now, they also did a study, and they said the least likely careers to have psychopaths, the top 10, number one, care aides, number two, nurses, number three, therapists, number four, craftspersons, number five, beauticians and stylists, number six, charity workers, seven, teacher, eight, creative artists, nine, doctors, and ten, accountants. Now, when you look at those, you know, most of those, I know I am a teacher, and I know people that are nurses and care aides. Um, You know, most of them, those people are largely unappreciated. Um, They don't do it for, like, I never went into teaching for the money, one. Um, I don't make a ton of money. Um, I love what I do. And I love being there for those kids. And I love teaching them. And I do it for those reasons. And so all of these professions that I named where you're least likely to find psychopaths, those are professions where people are in those professions not for a status quo They're not in them for any kind of ulterior motive. They're in them because they're nurturing people by nature. You could never put a psychopath into a care aide or nurse or teacher position and expect them to make it because they're not nurturing. You know, I could never imagine a psychopath being an early childhood educator like me because I have to sit kids in my lap and I have to kind of empathize with them and understand, you know, and be their mother as much as I am their teacher. So... That being said, um, I'm not trying to tell you, like, if you're a journalist or a lawyer listening to this, I'm not telling you you're a psychopath. I'm just saying that that was the study that was completed. um, And those were the most likely careers and the least likely careers. But the study that they did, they said 1 in 20 in this book, Psychopath 3, 1 in 20, and I may have mentioned this a minute ago, 1 in 20 people are likely to have those psychopathic tendencies. So I just did some quick math in my head when I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking, you know, I got about a thousand friends on Facebook, you know. Um, So if every one in 20 are a psychopath or likely to be, I probably have about 50 friends that are psychopaths. That I know, that I communicate with, that I see all the time. You know, that are on my Facebook. Like, I, and I'm really private about who I let on my Facebook. I have to know them in real life to let them on there. Um, so I have that, like, of course, I don't communicate with all 1,000 every day, but for the most part, I know these people in passing. I see them to think that 50 of them are psychopaths. 50 that's a lot. Every one in 20 people, like, I teach a class of 20 kids or nearest about every year. I have 22 this year. But it's likely that one of those kids in my class every year is going to grow up to be a psychopath. And this is an issue with dating. And this is an issue that I have found, you know, you just really have to pay attention to. And I hope that I have opened your minds right now um, to this series that I'm going to do on psychopathic bonds. Um, Next, podcast next week, um, I hope to focus on the the three stages of a psychopath relationship. And it's really, really interesting how if you have ever been involved with one of these people, they go through a very, very, very meticulous kind of flowchart way in the way they do things. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that next week and I'm also going to talk to you about tuning into your red flags so you don't have to be completely oblivious forever that you are dating a psychopath or seeing a psychopath you can actually tune into your red flags and bring those forward in your life and you can absolutely be the person you want to be and let me close with that quote that I reminded you of at the beginning and I just want you all to know that I love you very much Um, if anybody's out there listening it makes me happy to share these things it's therapeutic to talk about them Um, if you ever 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 want to email me or ask me any questions or have a chat like I'm totally open to that my personal email is Courtney C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y underscore Norman N-O-R-M-A-N nine zero at yahoo.com Courtney underscore Norman nine zero at yahoo.com. Um, and if you have any questions to ask me, I'll always be glad to answer them. Or if you would like to go read more about these things and other single mama things that I post about, uh, my WordPress blog site is court Norman, C O U R T N O R M A N dot wordpress.com. And you will be able to see a lot about this and other things that I talk about on there. Eventually on our show, I hope that we will be able to get some guest um, relations. Maybe I can talk my friend Carrie into one day telling us a little bit about her past relationship. Or if you would like to chime in and be a guest on our podcast show one week, just shoot me an email and I'll be glad to have you. Um, Like I said, I want to close with this. I know my worth. Never again will I condemn myself to the prison of a bad relationship. The person who said that is Steve Mariboli. I have no idea who that is, but I found that quote online and I love it. I know my worth. Never again will I condemn myself to the prison of a bad relationship. So if you're a single mom out there, that means you've been in a bad relationship before, but you know your worth and you know you are worth more. And never again are you going to condemn yourself. To the prison of a bad relationship. This has been Single Mama Dating. I hope that you all have a wonderful day and blessed week. And I will see you next time here.